This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. In the interest of protecting investors, the Securities and Exchange Commission has a new rule now in process, numbering some 500 pages to compel companies to tell investors about their climate change policies and impacts. But do investors want that information? And how much of that data is either accurate or actionable or comparable across firms and industries? Cato's Jennifer Schulp comments. How does the SEC interpret its mandate? And has it changed much since the creation of the agency? The SEC generally has interpreted its mandate to be a three-part mission to protect investors, to maintain fair and orderly capital markets, and to facilitate capital formation. That has stayed the same, but what hasn't stayed the same is kind of the meanings of each of those terms and how broadly or narrowly the SEC views investor protection and maintaining fair markets. I was about to say, fair markets seems to be the kind of phrase that you could drive a truck through if you had to. Investor protection is exactly the same way. Um, There's a lot of play in the joints about how the agency interprets its mission, even with a a standard uh, mission statement. So how, uh, what authority does the SEC rely on in releasing a disclosure requirement for companies related to um, global warming? So the SEC is relying on a couple of different places. One is its investor protection mandate and um, saying that investors are interested in learning about companies' climate change risks. But more generally, the SEC on this rule has relied on kind of even broader powers to provide information for investors and in the public interest. Uh, Talk about a mandate that you can drive a truck through. All right. So when they issue a disclosure requirement for um, publicly held companies to make investors aware of their climate change policies or their impacts, what are they what are they actually asking for? So. If you believe the SEC or if you believe the commissioners that approve the release of this proposed rule, they're asking for information that will help investors make better decisions about the financial health of companies, that really all they're doing here is kind of expanding upon the regular financial disclosures that we have and recognizing that climate risks are important to those financial disclosures. It's not a terribly satisfying answer, though, when you look at the breadth of what they're requiring or they're going to be requiring public companies to do here. It's pretty easy to see the SEC taking a much broader uh, view of its powers here and looking for information from companies that's important not just to investors but to the public generally and information that can be used to help funnel capital towards what the SEC or what certain climate activists view as appropriate and sustainable uh, development of companies in the future. Um, Why does the SEC feel that a rule is necessary when investors stand to lose a great deal if uh, climate change as a risk 
proves to be damaging to the profits of the companies that they might invest in? Well, uh, that's a bit of contention at the moment. Um, if a company faces climate change risks that are material to their financial profile, they're already required to disclose those under current disclosure regimes. In fact, a lot of companies already do disclose climate-related risks under the SEC's disclosure framework. That's not even to talk about all of the voluntary disclosure that happens outside of the SEC's framework that's not investor-focused. What the SEC, or I say more accurately, what the commissioners who have approved this rule have put out, this this rule went um, proposed with a vote of three to one on the commission. One commissioner dissented from proposing this rule. But what the commissioners that are in favor of this rule think needs to be done is what they keep referring to as the creation of comparable, reliable, and consistent information about companies so that investors can have, quote, decision-useful information. Um, That's a lot of attempting to put a quantitative spin on a lot of climate change risk disclosure that not quite sure can be quantified in the way that the SEC seems to think. Yeah, because I can imagine uh, for a company that's involved in one business and a company that's involved in another business that is tangential to the first business, how climate change would affect those businesses could be dramatically different. Absolutely. And the the disclosure regime that's in place now recognizes that because it basically turns the as the entire financial disclosure regime does, has companies determine what is material to their business. And that materiality is what guides what's going to be disclosed. What the SEC is saying here is that that's not enough. What we need to do is set down some ground rules about what it is every company should be finding important to tell investors. Um, And what we've come out with now is this giant package of new disclosure requirements uh, that uh, really, it's astounding. There's about 500 pages of rule release. Um, There's an awful lot of new items in the financial disclosure and the management disclosure sections. But the thing that's been getting a lot of press, rightfully so, is that the SEC is going to require every public company to disclose their scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions, whether or not they meet the company's view as to what's material to their financial condition. And in many circumstances, companies are going to be required to disclose their scope three greenhouse gas emissions. Scope one and two are tend to be information that's with closer to being within a company's control. Um, it's greenhouse gas emissions that the company directly emits itself, or that and scope two has to do with um, the greenhouse gas emissions that are emitted by the energy that the company is using. Scope three is an entirely different ballgame. Scope three basically looks at an entire supply chain and post-supply chain, and a company is supposed to report all of the greenhouse gas emissions that go into the creation of their product and the raw materials that move into the creation, as well as the greenhouse gas emissions that are created by the use of their product after it leaves their hands. How do companies understand their 
requirements under that. I can understand uh, this compels companies to reach back into their supply chains to demand similar information from producers who are making hot rolled steel or whatever goes into the product. But uh, I'm having a hard time understanding exactly how you're supposed to evaluate or measure the use of your product and the emissions of that. By a lot of assumptions and a lot of consultants. Um, this is These rules are going to be a boon to the consulting industry as well as um, the auditing and accountancy industries. Basically, the, the assumptions that go into scope three, I say in, in my view and in the view of a lot of others, take them out of the concept of consistent, comparable, and reliable information that the SEC claims to be seeking here. Uh, because it's... I won't say a wild guess as to what's happening with your product after it leaves your hands or the information about what your suppliers are doing to create um, parts of the product that you're going to use. But it's it's certainly not an easy thing to figure out. And it's not an easy thing to figure out with any sort of consistency across companies or across your supply chain. It's basically a lot of assumptions and um, speculation about what that might look like. So let me project what the uh, dark scenario is for the mandated production of this information. It uh, makes it a lot easier for Congress to issue edicts for companies that are above a certain threshold for uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the, in their production. Um, it also might uh, help promulgate future rules uh, that the SEC could uh, put out pursuant to some legislative mandate. That's one direction it can go. Um, say, unfortunately, it, it brings the Securities and Exchange Commission a little bit closer to what Commissioner Hester Peirce had joked as the Securities and Environment Commission. Um, but it, it also, even if you don't go to the dark scenario um, or to that particular dark scenario, it is an extraordinarily expensive undertaking for companies to do this. Um, and, and to the end of basically putting out data that, that might not be worth anything, even in it would, particularly in terms of the financial health of a company, but even in terms of understanding environmental comparisons across companies. It's 500 pages of rulemaking. How much of it is outside the, the purview of specifically climate change? This is entirely based on climate change re or climate related risks is how it's it's um, it's focused. Um, so it's not necessarily so I will give it the fairness that it is not 500 pages of new rules. Um, that's the supporting information that goes along with it. But but there is a direct correlation between how thick the rulemaking is and how thick the rules will be at the end of the day. Rulemaking is uh a process that we have understood for a long time to be an attempt at being open to the public. Um, and more recently, it has seemed, at least in the context of the SEC, to be somewhat less open to the public, or at least there's an attempt there to make it a little more opaque and narrow the window a little bit of 
uh, public engagement. Uh, this is no different, and that's absolutely true. Uh, the SEC, this has not appeared in the Federal Register yet, so the, the clock has not been set as to when the deadline is. But the the initial request for this was 30 days from publication in the Federal Register or 60 days from when the SEC announced it, whichever is later, um, which is kind of a new SEC formulation for, for creating comment periods. Uh, I think that's too short for a rule of this magnitude in any, under any circumstances. But what's particularly notable is right now the SEC has somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine rules proposed that are in public comment. Um, so this rule is competing with that many other rules for the attention of companies that may be affected. Uh, say, I've I've raised the alarm about this in the past. I continue to raise the alarm, but it, it's not just me. We've recently seen um, a lot of comment letters going to the SEC from members of industry. We've seen comment letters to the SEC from members of Congress. Uh, we've seen really a movement of interested parties noting that that there's just not the time for thoughtful rulemaking when you load this much up with too short of comment periods. Uh, the SEC definitely is presenting these rules as a fait accompli, uh, and that is not the way uh, it should be done, nor is it really what the Administrative Procedure Act um, contemplates when, when thinking about good government regulation. Jennifer Shulp directs financial regulation studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 